We are going to be in John chapter 4. We're going through our greatest hits uh, this summer, and basically we're picking out uh, chapters and verses in the Bible that are are dear to our hearts, Uh, not necessarily the greatest hits in all the Bible, but uh, to us, these are the the passages that speak to us. I preached in John 4 about five years ago and went through the Gospel of John, and so I want to to talk about the woman at the well today. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. So if you do, would, uh, grab your Bibles and please stand as we give uh, honor and attention to God's Word, and and let's listen to God's Word for God's people. We're going to be in John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. We're going to go through half the story today. Here is now God's Word. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus did not himself baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he could come to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. Uh, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. And Jesus answered him, Answer her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Verse 11, The woman said to him, Sir, You have nothing to draw uh, water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us a well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. And Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. In verse 15, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. And the woman said to him, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, You are right in saying that you have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one now you have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Verse 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming where neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. Verse 23, but the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. And God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. The woman said to Him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He is called the Christ. And when He comes, He will tell us all things. In verse 26, Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, am he. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this familiar story to many of us. But for many of some of us, it might be unique and new. And Lord, there are so many great truths in this story. So Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. 
Lord, we thank you that you have brought us here this morning to sit under your word uh, that was been written by your Holy Spirit, that you may lead, guide, and direct us into perfect worship, that we may worship in spirit and in truth. And we know that we understand that he, that you who began a good work in us, will bring it to completion. And so, Lord, there are, there are some that have walked in here and they're on green pastures. Life is going it's outstanding. They're, they're filled with joy and, and success, and life is moving at, at a pace where they're getting to eat their ice cream and cake too. There's also some in here that are walking through the valley, the valley of the shadow of death. I just got a call this morning that one of my brother's best friends passed away at 48. Lord, death is knocking on all of our doors. Some of us are in that valley this morning. And so, Lord, for those of us all, I pray that you would give faith to those who are doubting, that you would give hope to those who are in despair, you would give encouragement to those who are downcast, and you give joy to those who are dejected. And that is only found in one place, and that is in the free gift of God, the living water. It's in you, your Son, Jesus Christ. So, Lord, may every person that walks out those doors this morning, these doors this morning, May we bow our knee to you, King Jesus, in faith and repentance. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. Well, it's good to be back up here. Um, as you guys know, we get in our summer rhythms, and typically I get to take uh, June and July off, give me a little break from teaching. We had a lot of great men open up the Word of God to us and their famous passages, their greatest hits. And so can we just give them a round of applause, man, for, for being faithful to the Word? Again, we have, uh, this, this church is not built around a man, it's built around the man, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, King Jesus. And we, he is our, our senior pastor. And that everyone that comes up to here can, preaches his word to lead God and direct us into worship. Well, I want to open up with this, that everyone in here has a disorder. And, and, and we all have the same disorder, let me give you some symptoms of this disorder and see if you guys might recognize it in your own life. And it begins way back when you were young. It begins back when you were a toddler and even before that. As a toddler, maybe you couldn't say these words, but in your mind, when you saw another child playing with a toy that you wanted, you said, if only I had that toy, I would be happy. And then you kind of progressed to middle school. And, you, and, you, and you, you got the acne and the braces, and you're like, man, if only I didn't have these braces and this acne, I would be cool. And then you progress to high school. If only I had a car, then I could be free and experience true freedom. As you get older, you have to get a job. You, you say, if only I had that job, or if only I got that promotion, then I feel like I have arrived and everything that I have accomplished has come to pass. Some of you are saying like, man, if only I had a, a spouse, if only I could get married, then my life would be complete. Some of you married folks are saying right now, like if only my spouse did exactly in everything I told them to do, our marriage would be perfect. Amen? Anyone? If I only had that new gadget, if only I had that new fly rod, amen, amen then your joy, my joy, would be complete. Do you guys recognize this disorder in your life? Who has this disorder? It's called the if-then, if-only disorder. And go ahead and raise your hand if you have this disorder. All right, those of you who raise your hand are being truthful. Everyone else is lying to themselves. All right, come see me afterwards. We all struggle with this. We all struggle with this. And this morning we meet a lady who 2,000 years ago had the same struggle. 
And her struggle was with relationships, with men, marriage. And she kept on looking for satisfaction in her identity in this well. And it kept leaving her thirsty. And we see, as we just read, that Jesus, the great physician, divinely sets up an appointment to meet with this lady at the well to cure her thirsty soul. Uh, to give her the remedy that she needed to quench her thirst. And it's the same remedy that we need right now to cure our, if only, disorders. The prescription, the prescription is the gospel. The prescription is the gift of God, the free gift of God, which is Christ and Christ Himself and Christ alone. It is Jesus. That is the cure to the if-only disorder. And so let's look at this a little bit more in depth. And first we see in John 4, 1 through 6, we see this unusual route. This unusual route. Look at verse 1. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing uh, more disciples than John, verse 2, although Jesus himself did not baptize only the disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. So he's going south and he's going north. Judea's in the south and he's going north. And we have this little kind of asterisk in here. It's kind of a weird how he starts out with this verse, but why the parentheses? Why does it say that Jesus was making disciples and baptizing them, but yet Jesus wasn't doing the baptism himself? And, and one, I think what Jesus is doing here is he didn't want any competition to break out early in the church. Like if, you got, if I got baptized by Jesus Christ and you got baptized by Peter, I could be like, well, my baptism was a little bit better than your baptism, right? Because I got baptized by the Son of God. You got baptized by Peter. And so he didn't want to create any competition or, or create one of the, a, a spiritual superiority in the Christian faith. Mine's better, yours is not. But I think more importantly, what he's doing here, is, it says his disciples were baptizing him. He's, he's preparing them. He's, he's training them up. He knows that his time is short here on earth, and he's going to be gone. And soon, the disciples are going to be the ones carrying on the mission. And so he's giving them some reps. He's giving them some reps. And then we look at verse 4. And he had to pass through Samaria. If you have a Bible, you should, you should circle that and underline those words. He had to. It's very important. Again, he says he, he left Judea, which is south of Jerusalem, and he's going north. But he had to go through Samaritan. Now, he could have easily taken an alternate route, um, but he was going straight through. He's going straight north. He, he could have went east, and he could have chose to go around Samaritan, which is a very, very, very crucial piece, a very crucial piece of this thing. Because to fully grasp the significance of, of Jesus going through Samaritan, we have to understand the background between the Jews and the Samaritans. It's a lengthy background. It's old. There's 700 years of history here between these two people groups, and it's summed up in this way. They hated each other. The Jews looked at the Samaritans as half-breeds. They were part Jewish and a part Syrian and part other things. And the Samaritans looked at the Jews as the elitists. They hated each other. It was not a pretty picture throughout their history. And you can just turn on your TV today and still, still see the conflict between these two people groups. And if you are a true practicing Jew, there was no way you would walk through Samaria. What, what true practicing Jews would go, they would go all the way around Samaria 
to get to their destination. Again, so Jesus and them are starting from Jerusalem and Judea, and they're going to go around. A typical Jew would go around there to get to Galilee, but Jesus goes straight through. He goes straight through. And there's a couple reasons why. One, he has a providential meeting. He has a providential meeting with this woman at the well. And two, he's setting the course. Again, he's setting the course for his disciples. That the gospel is not just for Jews, but it's for all people. And it's for even the people that you hate, these Samaritans. He's setting the course of Acts 1.8, where it says this, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon me, and you will be my witnesses where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus sets his course to go straight through Samaria. And verse 5 says, He comes to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near that field where Jacob had given his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Or we would say it's about, it's about noon. Now some commentators differ on this. Some say it's, it's noon. Some say it's like 6 p.m. Uh, I'm going to go with noon. It's about the middle of the day. And it says this, that Jesus was wearied and tired from his journey. Jesus is wearied and tired because he's, he's walking everywhere sharing the gospel. He's beginning to start his ministry, and, and he didn't have planes, trains, and automobiles, right? He couldn't just jump into his, uh, <laughs> I'm going to say tundra truck, because he wouldn't drive a little, you know, uh, Prius, thank you. Uh, he, he doesn't have AXC, he doesn't have a tour bus. He's got his feet, and he's walking everywhere, and he's walking these, these many miles to, to, to Samaria, to Sychar, and he's tired, and he sits by a well, and the well was kind of a place where you would go, obviously, to quench your thirst, and his disciples leave him to go in the town to get some food because he's hungry, and there's no food at the well, and he's sitting there, and he's tired, and it's just, this is just, it's just focusing on Jesus' humanity. When we think of Jesus, we typically think of him as the Son of God, and rightly so. He is fully God and fully man at the same time. But we tend to emphasize that he is fully God. Here, it shows us his humanity. Jesus is tired from doing ministry. He's tired from walking all these miles. And for us, it's just, it's just, it's just pause and say, it's okay to be tired. It should encourage you. To, it, it's, it should comfort you. It's, it, it's okay to be tired to be weary. Jesus got tired. He got hungry. He needed to take a break. And sometimes so do you and so do I. Oswald Sanders, we're going through this book, a leadership book in our pastor's leadership uh, institute, and they said this, Oswald said this, the world is run by tired men and tired women. Uh, men and women who are, who are giving themselves to a mission, to a cause. You, you, you wear yourself out and Jesus is giving his life towards ministry to spreading the kingdom of God and the good news of the gospel and notice though even though he's tired even though he's sitting at this well he's still available for ministry he's still available for ministry verse 4 again he had to pass through Samaria to get to this woman in verse 34 the the mission of Jesus is to do the will of the father the one who sent him it's the great commission and listen, if you are called by God, if you are a Christian, if you are a follower of Christ, then He has a calling on your life. 
And that calling on your life is to love him, to love your neighbors, and to make disciples. It's the great commandment and the great commission. Now, we have to go to work to provide for our families. We have to go to school to get that degree. There's a lot of things that we have to do that make us tired, that make us weary. But do you wake up in the morning and see your life and be like, I have to go and love God and make disciples? Have you ever been tired of, of expending your life for the gospel? Like Christ. He's tired. He's weary because he's using his life. He sees his mission, his calling on his life to go and make disciples. So when you go to work, when you go to school, also see those avenues as that those are the places where you live, work, and play where you have to be ambassador for Jesus. And when you do, there's going to be great reward there. It's going to be tiring. It's going to be hard work. But it's going to be re- there's going to be reward there. You're going to see people's lives changed. You're going to see people's lives cross over from death to life for eternity. So Jesus was wearied from his journey, but he had to go this direction because secondly, that leads us to the unexpected meeting. And it was an unexpected meeting, at least for the woman in verses 7 through 9. Look at this. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. And the way he said it to her, he didn't demand it. The, in, the, in the original language, it's a, it's a soft answer. He's like, he's tired. He's like, woman, will you pl- give me a drink. Please give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for me a drink from me? A woman of Samaria, for Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. Again, we already looked at their history. They, they hated each other. So Jesus, to go through Samaria was a, was a scandalous deal. Uh, Jewish people reading this story in the, in, the, in the early days, they would be like, whoa, Jesus walked through Samaria? He's a rabbi. He's a Jew. He's a practicing. He would never do that. He would take the six-day journey around Samaria to get to the place. But here, that would, that would cause them to, to, to pause but it even gets more scandalous. Let me give you even some more bullet points on the relationships between Jews and Samaritans. One, Jewish rabbis, which Jesus is a teacher, would never ask a Samaritan for a glass of water because they were considered to be unclean. That would make them unclean. A Jewish man, a Jewish rabbi, would never talk to a woman alone without her husband, even in the Jewish woman. It was, it was forbidden. There had to be the husband there for the Jewish rabbi to talk to, even the Jewish woman. But this woman was Samaritan. So there is no way a Jew, in particular a rabbi, would talk to, be talking to a Samaritan woman alone. And this encounter took place at noon, again, midday. See, women usually got, went in early morning. The, the well was a place of, it's like going down to Old Town. The, uh, this is the place where you would get the water, but you would also socialize, see what's going on uh, around the town, get the, get the gossip of the day. And this woman was alone, and here Jesus is meeting her alone, and he's asking her for a drink. And the reason why she is alone is because she's literally alone. She has no friends because she's seen as a, a, a loose woman. She's seen as a prostitute. She's, she's had five husbands, and the one that she's living with now is not her husband. And so she's alone all by herself. She doesn't have any friends. She doesn't have any families. Even in Samaria, they have disowned her. And so here she goes at noon, and she comes face to face with Jesus. But I love this. And note this. Remember, remember, 
This is where Jesus had to go. This is the will of God the Father who sends Him to send the Son of God to meet with this woman at noon. Jesus is engaging this woman. He is crossing over. He's going against all the grain of the popular and the religious cultural values and norms of the day. He could care less about the the social norms because he understands that there is a Samaritan woman that is suffering and her soul needs a Savior. And so he makes his way to this well. And Jesus answers her. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Mark this. Again, don't miss this. Jesus is traveling through Samaria to meet with this one woman. Because he loves her. And he knows her need. And this is what the love of God does. This is what the love of God does to to Jesus, to you and to me. It, it, It propels us, it compels us to bring the gospel to those who need it so desperately. To those who are suffering. It crosses over barriers. Jesus crossed the ethnic divide. He crossed the gender divide. He crossed the moral social divide. He crossed the religious political divide. Again, He crossed all these divides to bring her the free gift of God. The living water that will satisfy her soul. Again, He didn't care what the social norms were of the day because this woman was hurting and she needed what He had to give her, namely the Gospel. And so the question for you and for me this morning is this. Who are the Samaritans in Fort Collins? Who are the Samaritans in your life? Here in Fort Collins, Loveland, Windsor, your school campus. Where where do the Samaritans hang out in northern Colorado? Where are their wells? Where do they go to draw water? What places maybe do you as a Christian avoid? This is not the place where Jesus might go. Spend some time. I think it would because he, again, this whole story says this is the reason why he went through Samaria to go meet this one Samaritan woman. He went to their well to meet with her. Well, Jesus isn't here today, but you are. You and I are his ambassadors to go and take the good news of the gospel to those Samaritans in our culture today. And don't we live in a culture where where people are trying to divide us in all these different ways? They're trying to divide us ethnically. They're trying to divide us through gender. They're trying to divide us in our social, political, our moral, social structures. Everything out there, outside of the church and the love of Christ is trying to divide and conquer us. To pit us together. And this is why I love this story, because the story tells us there's one unifying factor in this world that will unite us, and that is the free gift of God. That is the gospel. That is Jesus Christ. This is why I love this story. Because we have this unexpected meeting between a Jewish rabbi and an immoral woman. Between the Son of God and this woman. And we see the scope of the gospel. We, we see how far it reaches. It reaches literally to the ends of the earth. It, it reaches farthest to the most immoral of people. The gospel is for everyone. 
This is the true unifier. Not only 2,000 years ago between Jews and Samaritans, but today in our culture. It is what unifies us. Because listen, if, 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 if obtaining salvation was dependent on us doing something to earn it, if it wasn't a free gift to us, then that would limit the scope of the Gospel. That would limit uh, the scope of who could be saved, who would receive the Gospel. There's a reason why John 3 in Nicodemus is followed by John 4 in the woman at the well. There's a reason why these two stories are, are back to back. You see, because a factor, if we had to do something to earn uh, our salvation, a factor in our salvation would be a person's ability to earn it, right? And let's just be honest in here. We're not all equal. We're not all equal. Some of us are smarter than others in here. Like I went to a public school and I, and I got my degree, like give me the, the one degree that has the least math in it, right? And some of you guys are like engineers in here. It's all about math. You're way smarter than me. Some of us are better looking than others in here, right? Some of us have better physical abilities than others in here. Some of us are, 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 are better off financially in here. Some of us are, are, are more moral. We have a better standing in society. We're not all equal. It's not an equal playing field. And if salvation was, was left up to us, that would be a very narrow window of who could, re, who could be saved. Again, you think of John 3. You think of Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee of Pharisee. He was a religious leader. He was a moral. He had a high standing in society. He was an insider. You'd think like, that guy has a chance. If it was based on our own effort, that guy has a chance. Not the woman at the well. The woman at the well was a, a loner. She was an outcast. She was immoral. She was an outsider. But here's the beauty of Christianity. doesn't matter your background doesn't matter your abilities. The free gift of the Gospel is for everyone. And anyone can receive and obtain eternal life if they repent of their sin and they trust in Jesus. They look to Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Because it's not about what you can do, but it's about what Jesus has done for you and for me. Jesus is the ultimate unifier. The Gospel is the ultimate unifier. And our culture needs that today. And when you stop and think, isn't that the best news you've ever heard? I mean, really, isn't that the best news you've ever heard? You, you, not have you heard it, but, but many of you in here have experienced that. You have experienced the goodness of the gospel and how it unites individuals and people ethnically, through gender, through social, political structures. The gospel unites people. Because we see one another as, as men and women created in the image of God. We want to serve and love one another. This is the greatest news. It is the gift of God. Which leads us to our third point, the ultimate thirst quencher. Verse 11 through 15. In John 4, 11, it says this, And the woman said, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where, where do you get that living water? And when, and when this woman heard living water, she thought running water. She didn't think of like a pond or stagnant water. She thought like a river, living water, water that's moving. She's still thinking physically and not spiritually. Verse 12, he says, are you, are you greater than our father Jacob? And she's like, can you imagine asking Jesus that question? And Jesus, like, Jesus could be like, yeah, a little bit. You know, I'm a little bit better than Jacob. 
He gave us a well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Verse 13, verse 13. Again, highlight, underline verse 13. Memorize verse 13. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him or her a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty or have to come back to this well. Again, we see that she's still kind of in the dark. She doesn't quite understand what Jesus is talking about. She's thinking about the physical, her physical thirst, just like Nicodemus in John chapter 3 about being born again. How is it possible that a man can go back into his womb and be born again? He's thinking physically where Jesus is trying to speak about her soul, spiritual matters. Jesus asks this great question then. He's trying to get her on track. He's trying to lead her to the answer. She's, he's trying to lead her to see who he truly is, to connect her physical thirst with her soul's spiritual thirst. Jesus said to her, go call your husband and come here. And the woman answered him, I, I have no husband. And Jesus said to her, you are right in saying you have no husband. For you've had five husbands. And the one you have is not your husband now. Remember the if only, the if only disorder. This is the condition of this woman. Her soul is thirsty, and she's trying to quench her thirst in relationship. She's trying to fulfill that longing through men, through affection. And every time she's tried to do that, it's left her wanting, it's left her parched, it's left her unsatisfied because this is the way of the world when we try to seek satisfaction quench our thirst look for identity in anything outside of Christ verse 13 you and I will always be thirsty again and again and again and again I love how one commentator said it. He said this. He said, you can write this verse over every earthly pursuit, over every relationship, over every materialistic want. Go ahead. Drink of that water. You think it will satisfy you, but you'll be thirsty again and again. Every one of us in here can say amen to that quote because we've experienced that, have we not? Any of us, we've all have tried our passions and gone after other things outside of Christ and we're still left parched. Our soul is still left wanting. Jeremiah 2.13 says this, for my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the Lord, the fountains of living water, and have hewn out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. I love what C.S. Lewis said in The Weight of Glory. He puts it this way. He says, if we consider the un." Blushing, un, uh, unblushing promises of reward and the staggering nature of the rewards promised us in the gospel. In other words, if we truly believe what Christ says, like if you believe in me, this is what you're going to get. You're going to get heaven. You're going to get fullness of joy. You're going to get just love unconditionally. You're going to get all these things and so much more. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. Because we are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us through Christ. Yet we reject that. We, 
we fool around with these other wells. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slums because he cannot imagine what it's meant by the offer of the holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We sell ourselves too short going after these other wells. So here's a question for you this morning. And ask yourself this question this morning. Don't pass over this story. This question, are you parched this morning? Is your soul parched this morning? Are, is your soul thirsty? Are you longing for something more? You've, you've tried all these different things and you're still thirsty. The next question is then you should ask yourself is, well, what, what are the wells you're drinking from? What are the wells that you are trying to dig up and satisfy your soul? This is what Jesus is saying. He says, if it's anything else but Him, you're going to be thirsty. But you will never thirst, Jesus says. This is one of these promises in the Bible. You will never thirst. Your soul will, will always be filled up with living water and joy if you receive this living water as the gift I give you. Total and complete satisfaction forever. And I, and I love this because, again, Jesus takes this journey to meet this woman, to, to share this truth about living water. You can have this living water. Your soul will, will, will be satisfied if you drink of this living water that I have to give you. And it gets right to the heart of her issue. He gets right to the heart of her need. He doesn't beat around the bush. He gently confronts her. He gently confronts her soul's thirst. Again, she's been trying to find her worth and identity in this broken relationship and it continues to leave her wounded and alone. So Jesus gently helps her see her need by addressing her deepest sin, her guilt, and her shame. And this is what Jesus is saying. You want to be fully loved? Then you must be fully known. You want, you want to be fully loved, then you must be fully known. You, you, you don't need to hide your wounds. You, you, you can bring your wounds to me, Jesus is saying. Because I have wounds that I want to show you, that I'm, that I'm going to do for you. I'm going to die for you on the cross. This is where you're going to find forgiveness. This is where you're going to find love. This is where you're going to find worth. Isaiah 53, 5 says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. By his wounds, we are healed. And so again, the question for you and me this morning is, what are you trying to hide from Jesus? What are the scars that you're trying to hide from Jesus? That you think, no, there's no way He could forgive me. The shame and the guilt. I'm, I'm, I'm too bad. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. You want to be fully loved. You must be fully known. And here's the thing. Just like this woman, Jesus knows what you're hiding. And yet, just like this woman, he, has, he wants to have an appointment with you. He wants to sit down with you. He wants to talk with you. 
And he wants to say, hey, you give me those wounds. You give me those scars. You give me those sins. This is why I have come. By these wounds, we are healed. So Jesus is saying, hey, bring, bring those wounds. Bring the things that you're trying to hide into the light. Don't try, don't try and keep them in the darkness. Don't try and overcome these sins that you have, these private sins in the darkness. Because when you fight alone in the darkness, you will lose every time. Jesus meeting with this woman says, hey, come to me. He's meeting with you right now. Come to me. Let's get to the heart of the issue. I want you to have and to drink living water. I want you to have fullness of joy. I want you to remove the guilt, to remove the shame that you are carrying around. It's not yours to carry. That's why Jack, Jack opened up. If you are weary and heavy laden, come and I will give you less. Lay your burdens on me, Jesus says. And he's saying that to you this morning. Saying that to you this morning. So what do you need to bring into the light to Jesus this morning? Don't be ashamed. He, he's calling you and asking you right now to bring those to Him. He wants to see you free from guilt. He wants to see you free from shame. He wants to see you walking in love and peace and righteousness. And that leads us to the final point, verse 4. The uniqueness of Christian worship, verses 19 through 26. John 4, 19, the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. He just read her mail right in front of her, right? Our fathers worship on this mount, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. And again, she's starting to get it. She's starting to, oh, wait, Jesus is talking about something a little bit more than physical. He's, he's getting a little bit too close. He just, he just called me out. He, again, he just read my mail. And so she tries to deflect. And Jesus plays along for a little bit. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father, but you will worship what you, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. So, so Jesus indulges her. He's like, All right, she's going to try and deflect. Let me just play along for a little bit. He answered the question, her question. Salvation is from the Jews, two temples. The Jews. Uh, true temple was worshipped in Jerusalem. The Samaritans uh, worshipped at Mount Gearsman, Gearsman. And Jesus says, but there's a day coming soon when it's not about where you worship, but it's about who you worship. It's about a, a person. In verse 23, he says, but the hour is now. The hour is coming. And now is here and it's been here and it's been there since the last 2,000 years when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. And at this point, you should just be amazed at this story. Because remember how the story started out. It started out with Jesus asking this woman for a drink. And now where are we at? We're talking about true worship. True worship. What it looks like to be a true worshiper of God. We're talking about forgiveness talking about unconditional love. We're talking about hearing, hearing of a thirsty soul forever. And we say this is about true worshipers. And make sure you get this. This is about true worship. You want to know what true worship is? It's right here. Jesus tells us. It's us worshiping in spirit and in truth. He, he gives her a slight rebuke here. He says, what you, where, where you guys worship, uh, you don't know what you worship. 
You worship the wrong mountain. That's false worship. True worship comes through the Jewish people. True worship comes through Jerusalem. True worship comes through worshiping the Lord in spirit and in truth. And we could spend two couple, a number of sermons on this, but let me just give you a highlight view of this. What do we mean by worshiping in spirit? It, it means worshiping with your, with your soul. Is that the Holy Spirit has come and He's given you a new heart and new passions. He's redeemed your soul. And that's what we are to, to worship in. We're to, this is heartfelt, soulful worship. What Jack opened up with, like, we want to worship with our heart, with our mind, with our soul. Who we are at the core. You've received the gift of God and now you're being led and guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. You have new passions, new desires, a new vision for your life. When we sing about the Gospel you should be singing out loud. There's a reason why I sit in the front row. It's because I can't sing, but I can sing with volume up here. For us, for this body, this is, this is where I think we can, we can all grow in a little bit. We can all grow worshiping in spirit. Sometimes I sit in the back and I watch you guys worship and sing, and some of you guys just have your hands in your pocket and you're not even singing the songs. It's like, man, the gospel has hit your heart. You should be singing with joy. You guys get more excited about, you know, sometimes your team winning the Stanley Cup or the Super Bowl or, or, you know, beating Bobby Flay. I don't know, whatever you guys get excited about. There's nothing more to get excited about than, than singing about the salvation that has been given to you. So we, we sing with, with who we are at our core, our passions desires. And then we, in truth, it's not only in spirit, but it's also in truth. That means we worship the way the Lord has revealed Himself in Scripture. How He's revealed Himself. He's, he's revealed Himself very particularly in Scripture and how we are to worship Him in His revelation. It's not a, a imagination. We don't have to make it up. He's given us a, a ways and prescriptions to worship Him. Uh, the Lord has created this world. He has created this world in knowledge and wisdom. And there's divine order in this world and how it operates. And part of that divine order and how it operates is, is how He wants to be worshipped. He's made that known to us. We can, we can know it through His Scriptures. He's revealed it to us. And, and, and what are some of those ways in Scriptures and how we can worship in truth? Well, first, we, we, we know that we offer our bodies, as Romans 12, 1 says, as living sacrifices. That in whatever we do, whether in word or do, we know that we do everything to glorify God. That is what true worship is, is when you see your life, you see my life is here to worship and glorify God in whatever I do. We, we get God's word into us. That's the ultimate authority of life. This is what informs us on how to live, how to work, how to play. How to be a loving spouse. How to be a great parent. How to be a great worker. How to be a great friend. How to be a great worshiper. It's all in here. Second Timothy says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, and correction, and training in righteousness, so that you may be competent and equipped for every good work. We need to pray. We need to pray. That's the, the greatest gift that God has given us, to, that we get to pray to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that when you open your mouth and you address Jesus and the Lord, He hears you. He hears me. Continue steadfastly in prayer, Colossians 3.2. Be active in the local church. Use the gifts that God has given you to, to strengthen the local church, to encourage one another, to build one another up. And how about this one? To be a great ambassador. 
and to meet the Samaritans at the well to share them the good news of the gospel. To meet people at the wells and share the living water with them. To go evangelize and make disciples. I love how this this little section ends in verse 25. The woman said, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When He comes, He will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am He. In the, in, 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 the, in the Gospel of John, there's seven I am statements. We know that I am is, is the name of God way back in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses says, who am I going to say to the people that I'm going to bring out of Egypt? Who, who am I going to say sent me? And you say, I am. It's the covenantal name of God. It's the relational name of God. It's the name in which God fulfills all of His promises. And here, Jesus tells the woman that I am the God, the Messiah, the Savior that you are looking for. Did you know in John chapter 3, he didn't do that with Nicodemus? He didn't do it with the religious elite? One of the first people that he revealed himself to fully was this woman at the well. And that should give you hope, and that gives me hope. Why? Because that's the playing field that we're all on. We are all outsiders apart from Christ. Our sin is what separates us from him. And yet he revealed himself to her as he reveals himself to you and me this morning. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. doesn't matter what you're hiding. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are heavy laden. Put, put your burdens on me and I will give you rest. Come, drink deeply of me. I have living water. And as you drink from this living water, you will never be thirsty again. Do you want fullness of joy in this life? It's come to Jesus. For some of us in here, for some of us in here, we, we know that not everyone in here is saved. We, uh, a gathering this size. You, today is a day that you taste and see that the Lord is good. Today is a day that you first drink and taste for yourself for the first time living water. It's good. We beg you to come and taste and watch your life be changed not only for today, but for eternity. And for those of us that have tasted this water, sometimes we, we get off the path a little bit, don't we? And we've been digging in other people's wells or other people's cisterns trying to satisfy this thirst. And today is a day to call, Jesus is calling you back to living water. So let's, deep, let's drink deeply with Him this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this encounter. This incredible encounter that the King of kings and the Lord of lords seeks out this woman at the well. And that should encourage us because that means if, if you sought out this woman, that means you will seek out us. And so I pray if there's anyone in here today that wants to taste and see for their very first time this living water, that they would, they would see that the wells that they're drinking from, that they're trying to, they're trying to satisfy their soul, is still thirsty, that they would... They would forsake those wells and come to the well of the free gift of God, the gospel. They would repent their sins and trust in what you have done for them in your life, death, and resurrection. And for those of us that have done that, Lord, we strayed a little bit. Lord, you're calling us back. And you're not disappointed with us. You're not angry with us. You're not frustrated with us. You call us back with an unconditional love. Lord, if we want to be fully loved, we must be fully known. So let us walk in obedience to Your Word 
and drink deeply from the well of Jesus our Lord and Savior. In Your name we pray. Amen.